0: Welcome to the podcast for Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. My name is Lee Younger. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Community. And this is a message that I gave on Sunday morning, December 12th, 2021, from the Gospel of Luke in Chapter 2. We are taking these few weeks of Advent this month to talk about Christmas ornaments. And I don't mean the Christmas ornaments that you hang on the tree, or place on the mantle. Now, this is like the old school meaning of the word ornament, something that was like an accessory, a thing that goes along with something else, equipment or adornment. These are the uh, the trappings of the first Christmas night, the trinkets of that night that tell us something about who Jesus is and why he came. We've talked about the swaddling clothes. We've talked about the stable. And this morning, we're going to talk about the manger. This is Luke chapter 2 You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for what we've already gotten to do in here, being with people that we love, smiling and shaking hands or bumping fists and laughing about stories from the week and then singing together, singing to you, offering you our gift of praise. I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for the words that we've gotten to say this morning. I'm um, just about who you are and why you came. And I'm praying now as we, as we look at your word and as we think about your manger, that you would open our hearts to receive what you have for us. Help us to re- be receivers and to have the posture of someone who's not holding back and not defensive, but open, wide open and ready to receive what you have for us. It's in your name we pray, amen. Okay, I think it's really interesting that in this scripture that the, the angels say, this will be a sign to you. If when you go into the city of David and you're looking for this baby, there's a, like a, a little marker that not all babies have, which is this one's going to be laying in an animal food trough. And it's like, that would be a sign. That's not where you're supposed to put babies, y'all. You're not supposed to put a baby where the animals eat out of. I remember when we were, when, when Christy was pregnant with our first baby, uh, we actually built the crib, which those of you who know how unhandy I am, you're like, uh, Lee? Was that a really good idea? Don't worry, I had lots of supervision. Christy did most of it, but we we got all this poplar and we like cut it and measured it and sanded it and we you know we did all the things and you know clamped it and glued it and made this crib. And I remember we went to Babies R Us. To, to buy the mattress for the baby. And we're looking, we're like in the mattress section, the crib mattress section, and we're like, well, we're not going to get like the bottom, bottom shelf one because, you know, we love our kid and all that stuff. And, and we're, not, we're not really going to get this most expensive one because <laughs> no. And by the way, I was looking this week. I was just doing a little research online. There is a bassinet that you can buy. It's called the Smoo, which is a word. The Smoo bassinet developed by Harvey Karp, the guy who came up with the happiest baby on the block. This bassinet costs sixteen hundred dollars, sixteen hundred U.S. dollars. So if you really love your kid, you'll put him in this. I don't know. I don't really know what the smooth bassinet has that our little crib didn't have. But we're looking at mattresses, and we're so we're kind of looking like middle in the ro- middle of the road, not bottom shelf, not super fans. And this the this guy that works for Babies R Us rolls up on us, and he's like, "Do not get that." Mat-. And we're like holding the middle of the road mattress. We're about to put it in the oversized cart, and he's like, "Do not get that mattress." And we're like, why? And he was like, because it's a death trap. And we're like, then why are you selling it? <laughs> and he's like, I'm telling you, within three months, that's going to be recalled. You know? And I'm like, then recall it. Like, he's like, I've just read all these articles. I was like, don't sell this. So we wound up getting like the most expensive. We're like, what are we going to do? So we got like a nicer one or whatever. Why are you selling this thing? But you wanted to put your baby like in the the most safe, the most amazing thing that you could put your baby in. And so these angels say to the shepherds, this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby where you should not find a baby in an animal feed trough. That's where you're going to find this baby. The manger. I was just thinking about that night. And by the way, I've constructed a lot of mangers in my life, being a church kid. Grew up in church. I've made a lot of them. I'm not that handy, but all it took was like Elmer's glue and popsicle sticks and some crayons. A few cotton balls. Which I always wondered about the cotton balls, because like is like did they lay Jesus down in like ice cream? Like, why is it it's like <laughs> cotton balls? Seems like that would be cold. But like I've made a few mangers in my time. Not a handyman. But anyway, this is the sign to you. This is where you're going to find this baby is in this manger. I was thinking about Joseph in that first night and how unbelievably overwhelmed this dude must have been. How in over his head he was. He was a middle school boy. He had no idea about any of this. He didn't know anything about labor. He didn't know anything about contractions. He didn't know about transition and when to tell her to put, he didn't even know like Mary much about girls, you know, like he didn't know what was going on, when to push. And then when the baby was there, like, what do you do? Where do you cut the cord? She's like, you got to cut the cord. Like where? I don't know what to do. And then, okay, the baby's got a nurse. We got to latch, you know, probably Mary had little brothers and sisters or something like that. And you know, or had babysat some kids, and she had a little more experience than Joseph being a girl and everything. But, you know, this dude is completely in over his head. And so then he nurses, and then she swaddles him up. All this stuff Joseph knows nothing about. And then all of a sudden, after all these things that this guy knows nothing about, we finally get to something where Joseph is an expert. Because Mary said, we need to find a, pl- a place to lay this baby down. Because he's going to sleep and then I'm going to sleep. You sleep when the baby sleeps. That's just, that's 101, okay? Thomas, y'all sleep when the baby sleeps. That's (laughs) basic stuff right there. So she's like, so find somewhere to lay this baby. And all of a sudden, Joseph is an expert. Because he's looking around the little garage or the shed or whatever it was, and he sees the manger, the animal food trough. And in an instant, all these things are going through, through Joseph's head that Mary knows nothing about. She would have been completely in over her head because he was a carpenter. So he could look at that manger, and he knew what kind of wood it was. He knew what kind of, the, the way they did the joining and all that kind of stuff. He knew everything about it. He was able to test it. He could hold it and, and think to himself, this will work. This is where he was the expert. This will work. It's stable. It's secure. We can put the baby in this. And so the baby can go to sleep, and Mary can go to sleep, and Joseph probably didn't, even though you're supposed to sleep when the baby sleeps. And all of a sudden, he's the expert because he was a carpenter. He knew tools. He knew wood. He knew how to build things. Carpenters were builders. They were problem solvers. He knew about this, and he knew that it would work. And in an instant, this piece of carpentry that This piece of woodworking that somebody threw together at some point in Bethlehem's history became, in a moment, the second most famous and the second most important piece of woodworking in the history of the world. Just like that. It has been artistically recreated, painted, put together. The manger has been recreated more than almost any piece of carpentry in the history of the world. It appears in more paintings, it appears in more statues, and it appears in more works of art than any other piece of carpentry except one. In a moment. I mean, somebody, somewhere, took some wood and measured it and cut it, shaped it, sanded it, maybe, fastened it together. It was made to be a trough for animals to eat out of. And in a moment of moments, it became a substitute throne for the king of kings, a substitute throne. It's how Jesus came into this world. It wasn't wasn't fancy, it wasn't fine, but it was functional. And it's where he slept. And then the baby grew. That little baby who slept in the manger grew and he became a little boy. And then the little boy became a teenage boy and all of a sudden he's apprenticing with his stepdad. And the little boy Jesus is becoming little apprentice carpenter Jesus and Joseph is teaching Jesus things about the tools and how you take care of the tools and how you sharpen the tools and how you make sure that they're always nice and where you want them to be. And he's telling him, he's telling little boy Jesus about different kinds of wood, different kinds of local hardwood that you would build with. And you know, Jesus is probably like, uh-huh, uh-huh, internally like rolling his eyes like, dude, I could tell you way more stuff about this. <laughs> Joseph is like, now this particular hardwood and Jesus is like, uh-huh, you go ahead and tell me about that. He's like, I remember, I know it was October twenty-seventh, six and a half years ago, about three miles outside of Bethany, that this tree fell over and was timbered. And that that's I mean, he's like, I I know stuff about wood, Joseph, you've never even thought of. Little boy Jesus thinking these things. If I was Jesus, I would have gone ahead and just boasted about the whole thing. He didn't, thankfully. He knew no sin, as the scripture says. Jesus could have told Joseph, you have no idea, but there's this place called Brazil. And in Brazil, there is there's a wood called rosewood. And it's not only an amazing hardwood, it's also the world's most incredible tone wood. And one day, a Brazilian rosewood is gonna get felled, and then it's gonna get cut up, and then it's gonna get shaped. And it's gonna get shaped by a guy in Gaelics, Virginia, which you also don't know what that place is, His name's Jimmy Edmonds, and then it's going to turn into a guitar that Miss Caroline Allen is going to lead worship with at Triple C in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, right, Caroline? Because it's not only a great hardwood, it's the greatest tone wood in the world, and it can produce those clearest lows and the crispest highs. Like, it's just an amazing... Jesus could have told Joseph so much more about the art that Joseph was training Jesus in. And then at a certain point, Joseph passed away and Jesus took over the shop. Jesus the carpenter. There's a place in Mark chapter 6 where Jesus is wowing everybody, and all the local folks are like, wait, isn't that the carpenter? That's how he was known. He was the carpenter. He's the guy that runs the shop. I mean, he builds things for people. He solves problems for people. You can imagine old men wandering by the carpenter shop and peeping in to hang with Jesus to talk theology and to talk about the scriptures and teenagers coming in to talk to Jesus about their relationship problems or their friendship dramas and all that kind of stuff. Little kids running into the carpenter shop to see what new toy Jesus built for them this week. And people would just hang out with him. He was a problem solver. He was a builder. And then one day Jesus closed up the shop. Maybe he handed the keys off to one of his little brothers, but he had a mission. He was on a mission for about three years where he went around collecting followers and students and disciples, and he was teaching things to people that were so amazing. People had never heard anything like the things that Jesus would teach. He would teach with humor. He would teach with all of this, with stories and fun and just depth, and he had such a flawless character and kindness, and everybody knew that that was his authority. Like, they had never heard anything like the things that he would teach, but he wasn't just teaching. He was also doing things that people had never seen or never heard of. He was healing diseases. He was kicking evil spirits out of people. He was telling weather what to do, and it would. One time he told Peter, go throw your fishing line into the water and you will find a coin to pay for my tax and yours. Well, how long ago had the coin fallen in there? When did you tell the fish to go eat it? When did you tell the fish to, to roll up on Peter's hook? It's like, this dude's doing things nobody can believe, just going around. One time, I mean, a couple of times he raised people from the dead. He's teaching things people have never thought of. He's miracling things people have never dreamed possible. But all the teaching... And all the miracling, it was all secondary to his mission because the primary reason for his mission was not just to teach because we don't really follow his teachings, nobody ever has. It wasn't just to solve people's problems with miracling because we needed something deeper than that. Jesus came to give his life away. That was his mission. His mission was to die. He came here on purpose to die. He came to die on a Roman cross to pay the price for all the wrong that I've ever done, thought, said, everything you've ever done, thought, said. He came to take our place to settle a debt we could never settle. And somebody built a cross that was just like every other cross that the Romans put together. Somebody took some wood and they cut it and they shaped it, they fastened it together. It was made to be an instrument of torture and death for a criminal. And in the moment of moments... It became the second substitute throne for the king of all. Amen? It wasn't fancy. It wasn't fine. But it was functional. And he died there for us. The most important and the most famous piece of woodworking in the history of the world on Monday morning, um, most of you guys know this, on Monday morning all of a sudden we started getting phone calls and texts that our kids were locked down at Oak Ridge High School because of a threat of a shooting. <laughs> and those of us who had kids in the school were like, we were like trying to hold it together. And I'm, I'm driving around town knowing there's nothing I can do. I can't go over there. They're not going to let me in the place. And I was driving as close as I could get to the school. And there's that place where you drive by St. Stephen's and then you drive by First United Methodist. And on the sides of the building, big stone crosses. And on the top of the building, crosses on the spires. And I was just praying to the Lord for our kids, for my kids and yours and all of those kids. And I was just thinking, there it is. There's the emblem that has become the most famous piece of carpentry in all of the world. Because Jesus paid, we have hope. The guy that... Most of you guys know who Eugene Peterson is. He's the guy that translated the Bible into kind of everyday language we call the message. He said, I never enter a room without a cross, if I can help it. He had a cross hanging in every room of his house because he never wanted to forget what Jesus did for us, that Jesus paid, and that a cross, a Roman cross like any other, became the second throne for the King of Kings. And it was functional, and he did pay. And because of that, anybody who wants to can be immediately and totally and eternally forgiven for everything they've ever done, do, or will do for the rest of their life, amen? That's good news, y'all. And by the way, if there's anybody here who's never done it, you could say to Jesus right now, I need that. I need to be forgiven. I want to start over. You can say to him, I need it, I want it, I take the gift you're offering me. And you can be completely clean and forgiven. You can have a place in heaven forever that no one can ever take away. And you can have a relationship with Jesus right now because you can have it for free immediately and right now. All you have to do is tell him you want it. And the reason you can have a relationship with him is because the one who died on his second throne didn't stay dead, right? He got up. He got up from the grave. And he's still alive. He's alive forevermore. And here's the really, really cool thing. The one who died for us is alive, and the master carpenter wants to work on a third throne, y'all. And he wants to work on a third throne that wasn't intended for any other purpose besides him sitting on it. That wasn't a throwaway thing that somebody made for something else. It was always going to be for him. Made for him, and now being made for him. And that throne is your heart. The first one was intended to be a trough for animals to eat out of. It's how our Lord came into this world. The second one was intended to be an instrument of torture and death for a criminal, but it became a substitute throne for our Lord who had never done anything wrong. And it's how he left this world. And now he's taking your heart and he wants to make it his home where he can live, where he can live every day. I was thinking about Jesus outside of time and just how he's always known everything. I was thinking about how um, when the seed that fell down into the earth and started germinating and became the tree that would become the manger, when that seed that would become the tree that would become the manger, when it hit the ground and started germinating, Jesus knew, it's on, I'm coming. Isn't that cool? And then the seed that would become the tree, that would become the cross, when that seed hit the ground and started germinating and growing, he knew, it's on and I'm paying. But the scripture says that when you heard the message of Jesus, it was like a seed that went into your heart, into the soil of your heart. And somewhere, sometime, someone told you about the message of Jesus And that seed went down inside your heart and it started to germinate and grow. And he knew it's on and that's where I want to live, right there. The master carpenter, carpenter would choose wood. He would measure it and cut it and shape it and sand it and fashion it, fasten it together and make it into something beautiful or something for some function. And Jesus picked you and he picked me. And that's what he's up to in this world, by the way. That's what he's up to in your life. I was thinking about um, what it would feel like to be worked on. Um, of, I guess a couple of months ago now, when, uh, whenever Charlie and Sarah and their crew moved back to Oak Ridge, I was walking around the house with Charlie, and I was like, this is a cool house. And he was like, yeah. You know, I'm like, touch a wall. And he's like, that wall's gone. And I'm like, okay. You know, and, and I'm like, yeah, this is a cool front porch. He's like, I'm going to change the whole thing. I'm like, Okay. Uh, we're walking downstairs, and he's like, I might move these stairs. And I'm like, how can you move stairs? It doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. But I was thinking about this, and it's like, if I was Charlie's house, how would I feel if he just started knocking walls down? I'd be like, hey, 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 come on now. I don't like that. it doesn't, doesn't feel too good. I was over at Jeff and Erica's new house, and it was like all the transformative stuff that has happened in that house. If you were the house, you would be like, I don't like this. And yet it's gotten so cool. It's so cool when somebody walks in there and has a vision of like, it's one thing now, but I'm going to make it into something else. And that's what Jesus is doing with your life, y'all. And it's not going to always feel good. And you're not going to always know which direction it's going to go. But you're in the hands of a master carpenter. Can you imagine if, I, I'm, I bet there's not, but can you imagine if we knew for a fact that there was one piece of furniture in this world still that Jesus made with his own hands? When he, st- when he was still in the carpenter shop? Can you imagine if we knew for a fact that it was his and that he had made it? That would be so cool just to think this was handcrafted by Jesus. It would be the most valuable thing in all the world. Well, you are. You were handcrafted by Jesus. And now he's at work on you. And I would say... My thing for this week is I want to be the kind of person who says to Jesus, go to work on me and do what you need to do. I'm not going to understand it. I don't know where this is going. It might not always feel good, but I trust you and I'm in your hands. Most of you guys probably know that, that beautiful verse in Ephesians chapter 2 that says, um, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he has prepared in advance for us that we might walk in them. Well, we are. That word workmanship means you're Jesus' poem. It's like he's writing a poem with your life. And that's such a beautiful thought. Well, later in that same chapter, he says something a little more direct and a little more to our purpose. He says, you are built on a foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And he said, and you yourself, you are being joined together to be God's house where he can dwell by his spirit. That's what he's doing in your life. So sometimes when you feel pressed or you feel hammered on or you feel uncomfortable, you feel like, I don't know where this is going, you are actually being built into the third throne of the King of Kings. The first one, it wasn't fancy, it wasn't fine. But it was functional, and it was where he slept. The second one, it wasn't fancy, and it wasn't fine, but it was functional, and it's where he died. And the third one is you. And let's be honest. When Jesus got a hold of us, we weren't all that fancy. Weren't all that fine. Sure as heck didn't function. Sometimes still struggling to function. But the master carpenter's at work, isn't he? And I think our biggest job this week is to trust him to know what he's doing and to say to him, go to work on me and help me to figure out how I can help you. I don't know if I can hold some tools and I don't know if I know how to help, but I want you to go to work on me because I want to be a place where you want to be. I want to be a I want to be a throne for you. I want my heart to be a place where you want to hang out. The more and more we make our house the home we want it to be, the more we want to hang out there, and the more we want to invite people over into it. Let's let him work this week.
1: In a manger laid, stranger to the world, I was just a baby laid in a manger so I could seat you on my throne. Precious little child, son of the God of love, I came to show you The cross alone, but not a victim.